Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. We're continuing our study through the book of Judges tonight. Now, it will become immediately, maybe not immediate, uh, as we get through chapter 17 and move into verse eight, uh, chapter 18, it will become more clear that uh, there's a break in the chronology of the book, it would seem. It seems like up to this point, uh, the first 16 chapters of the book have been pretty much chronological, Marilyn, I would say very chronological. But chapters uh, 17 and 18 seem to go back to the early period of the Judges. When we get into chapter uh, 18, uh, it appears that the Danites have not yet taken uh, possession of all the land that, that God uh, prescribed for them. And so it seems like this final portion of the book, these last five chapters, are kind of an appendix. Uh, they record some apostasy, some difficulties, uh, some of the reasons that uh, God has uh, judged the people for along the way uh, and use that judgment, of course, to call them to repentance. So we want to not lose sight of that fact. But just want to make it clear that we're, we're kind of in the appendix of the book now. Uh, the chronology seems to stop here. That's okay. That's okay. I just didn't want that to be uh, confusing in any way. With that said, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Do you ever struggle to be content? Do you ever struggle or have you ever struggled to be content? Um, maybe uh, a year like 2020 is <laughs> a good time to ask that question uh, with so many challenges, so many difficulties, so many trials uh, brought by this year. Just when you think there couldn't be more, Marilyn, there's a storm. <laughs> you know, there's going to be something else coming behind that. We know that. God is using trials to get our attention and to keep our attention uh, and to grow us in, in all of this, as we've seen and said uh, many times. But if we're not careful, uh, we lose sight of God's purposes in trials and we become more and more at risk of being discontented. Have you been there? Uh, have you been there this year? Have you ever been there? Uh, it's easy uh, to find yourself there. It's very natural, of course, to be discontent, to be discontented uh, by circumstances, by situations. I'm, I believe that what we see here in Judges chapter 17 and Judges chapter 18, first of all, we see the tendency of people to be dissatisfied, not happy with what God gives, uh, and the consequences of that discontentment. We'll see here tonight that uh, discontentment seems to lead um, a man and his mother into uh, all kinds of sin. It seems like just within the span of several verses, they break the majority of the, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, one man observes that here in this chapter, uh, you find people who seem to be pretty much completely discontented with all of God's provision and people who allow their discontentment to become discontentment with God and so they concoct a man-made God who is approached through man-made worship uh, by a man-made priest. A man named Unger makes that observation about this chapter. He, he observes, and, and you'll quickly see for yourself, if, if this is not familiar to you, that there's a family here who's quite discontented. Uh, 
They seem to become discontented with God, and so they invent their own God or their own representation of God. Uh, they invent their own way of worshiping that God. Uh, they invent their own um, spiritual leader rather than choosing or, or yielding to the authority of the one that God has chosen for them. And this is, this is uh, an example of the kind of apostasy uh, that we see getting the people into trouble throughout the book of Judges. But uh, listen, it's, it's in our Bibles because the Lord clearly desires to warn all of us that discontentment of any kind can quickly become discontentment with God and how he desires to be worshiped and the spiritual leaders that God chooses. And, and you know, that can quickly throw us off track in terms of whether or not we're in church, whether or not we're worshiping the way God wants us to worship, uh, whether or not we're, we're recognizing and yielding to the authority of God and the authority of the spiritual leaders that, that God has chosen for us in, in this day. Uh, that's a problem, of course. That, that's a problem. So there's a warning for us here tonight about discontentment. Now, Marilyn, I don't want to leave us tonight in a negative place. I want us to see the warning and see the, the risk, just how far down the wrong road that discontentment can take us. But then I want to kind of come about face and say, okay, that's the problem, but what is God's solution? I'm thankful tonight the Lord has a solution for all of our spiritual problems, all of our emotional problems. You understand those things go, go hand in hand. They're like peanut butter and jelly or, or two sides of the same coin. God has an answer for all of these things in his word. So we'll end tonight, Lord willing, by looking at some of the things that God prescribes in his word uh, as his answer for discontentment. And I, I hope and pray tonight this will be a a great help to us. If you're struggling with discontentment tonight, uh, or if you say, you know what, I'm, I'm okay tonight, but I, I recognize that as I kind of think back over my life, I have at times been really discontented. And I know that if I'm not careful, I can kind of slip back into that again. So uh, let's, let's just take it tonight for, for um, however you need it. Maybe it's something you need to apply to your, your life tonight, or, or maybe you just need to kind of store this up for the next season of discontentment or the next temptation uh, to be discontented. I'm going to pray, and then we will take a look here at the beginning of Judges chapter 17. It's just 13 verses tonight, so I think we'll, we'll get through it relatively quickly. Uh, sound good? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for our church. Thank you for each one who's come out tonight. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm, I thank you for them, and I pray that you will bless them with uh, your instruction uh, from your words tonight, that you will work in each heart, uh, Father, through your words and, uh, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who helps us and who convicts us and who enables us, who empowers us. Uh, Father, I pray tonight that uh, we would see the real dangers of discontentment, uh, Father, a da dangers that, that take us to a place where uh, we, we're not happy with even you. And, and Lord, I, I recognize tonight that that seems impossible, and, and yet it's not. We know that uh, your people can become discontented with you uh, and therein fall into all sorts of apostasy. So, Lord, I pray tonight that you help us to see the, uh, the ultimate dangers of discontentment. And Lord, also to take in... Uh, to receive your answers, your solution to this 
spiritual problem. Now, Lord, I know tonight that we're all made uh, the same way. We have the same uh, sin nature and, and many of the same tendencies uh, in that. So we all need this, Father. And thank you tonight for uh, recording these things in your word for us. Help us now, Lord. Uh, help us to not just see the problem, but to be uh, anxious to receive your answer as well tonight. Lord, I pray we leave here tonight satisfied in you, uh, content in Christ, uh, not allowing, not choosing to be discontented, uh, knowing the dangers of remaining in that place. Lord, help me now. I, I certainly need it. I thank you, Father, and pray that you would work here now as only you can. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready to jump in? Okay, we're in Judges chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. We meet here in the beginning of Judges chapter 17, in this a man named Micah. Uh, he's an Israelite. Uh, we see here quickly that uh, he confesses to having stolen from his mother. Stop and think for a minute, why would someone steal? I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, this man, Micah, becomes sort of, in his family, Micah and his family become kind of the center point for the count uh, the account that runs through the next two chapters. So uh, let's get to know Micah here. He, he's a man who has a, well, he has some spiritual problems. Thankfully, there's an answer to his problem. But let, let's see this here. Uh, Judges chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, uh, And there was a man of Mount Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim, of course, was the territory occupied by, by that tribe, the tribe of Ephraim. The Bible says whose name was Micah, M-I-C-A-H. Uh, his name is Micah. Verse 2 says this, He said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, uh, about which thou cursest, apparently she had cursed uh, over some money, some silver that had been stolen from her. Uh, and she spoke to him about it, and, and he, she, he says of her that uh, she spakest also in mine ears, Behold, the silver is with me, I took it. So he confesses to having taken this silver. Micah confesses uh, to having taken this silver from his mother. His mother responds at the end of verse 2. His mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Okay, so we meet Micah. Uh, bad thing here is that he's stolen from his mother. The good thing is that uh, apparently he, he has confessed. Uh, she apparently has uh, been cursing and, and perhaps making threats about the guilty party. And I, I'm not sure that Mr. Micah would have otherwise confessed, but in the, in the context of her uh, pronouncing curses and uh, what all that involved, he says, I, I better confess, Mom. So he does. He confesses. Uh, that he took the money and, and, and she, she stops cursing and, and, and begins to bless. I want to just make one quick note here. If you remember the money that was promised to Delilah uh, in the last chapter, it was 1,100 shekels of silver. Uh, seems to have been the case that she would have received that amount from each of the lords uh, of the Philistines. So there might be a temptation here to assume that maybe, maybe this is Delilah. I do not think that is the case. And Gary, the reason is that, when, again, when we get into chapter 7, 18, as I said in my introduction, it becomes quite apparent that this is not following the account of Samson and Delilah chronologically. At least it does not seem to be. 
the case. So uh, I do not think this is Delilah and, and her uh, 1,100 times four pieces of silver or shekels of silver, but rather uh, another woman. I'm not sure if there's a significance to the 1,100 shekels or pieces. Uh, nonetheless, we do, see, uh, we do see the amounts are the same. Now, I asked you before, why would a man steal a substantial amount of money from his mother? Doesn't that seem like a wicked thing, Brother Gary? Uh, this man stole the substan 1,100 shekels of silver, pieces of silver. Not, I didn't do the math to try to figure out what that would be worth today, but it would be a substantial uh, amount of money. It doesn't seem like he borrowed it. He stole that money, that silver, from his mother. That's a wicked thing, Brother Art. Why would a man do that? What would take him to the place where he would be willing to take from his very own mother? Zach, do you have any thoughts about that? What would, what would, what would lead a man to do that? Uh, desperation, maybe. <laughs> maybe he was desperate. I was thinking of another D word, which um, is discontentment. Uh, maybe he was desperate about something. I, I don't know. Uh, that, that's a possibility. Uh, would that excuse his behavior? It would not. Uh, being in a desperate situation does not excuse sinful behavior. That's good to keep in mind, by the way. You might feel like you're in such a desperate situation that you have no choice but to do some sinful thing to get out of that situation. Uh, in the Lord's eyes, would that ever be right? That would never be right. That would always be wrong. When we're in a desperate situation, what's the best thing we can do? Pray, Lord, you know that I'm in a desperate situation. Father, would, would you give me what I need and would you deliver me from the situation that I'm in? Boy, what a, what a better choice uh, that would be. I'm going to dial down the possibility here, Zach, and, and use another D word. Uh, I'm going to say that at very least, this man was for some reason discontented with what God gave him. Maybe he was desperate. I don't know. But I, I would say this. At very least, he was discontented uh, with what God gave him. When you're, when you're discontented, uh, what are some of the things that begin to, can begin to happen? Let's say that you're discontented with your car or your house, or your clothes, or, or some other thing that, that you have. What happens when you're discontented, when you're not happy with what God has given you? What are you at risk of doing sometimes? Gary, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, what, do you, what do you do when you're discontented with what God has given you? Well, you should pray. That, that's, that's what I would hope you would do. But if we're not careful, if we're not standing guard and being vigilant, uh, what, what, might we, what might we naturally or in the flesh choose to do? Zach, do you have any thoughts on that? You might start to get jealous. You might start to look around and say, uh, boy, uh, look, how come I can't have what Gary has? How come I can't have what Zach has? You, you might start to look around and, and um, not only be discontented, but be jealous uh, and begin to covet what other people have. And uh, that, that can lead to a, a very prideful, uh, very sinful greed. This sinful, prideful discontentment breeds a sinful, prideful covetousness, uh, which is sin, uh, and, and a greed, a, a desire to just heap upon myself what God has not provided for me, uh, and, and, and that, that discontentment, which drives covetousness, which drives greediness, 
uh, change up the order as, as you will, but uh, that could take a man to a place where he'll become so fixated on getting what he does not have that he will begin to do things that he knows he should not do, uh, evidently including even stealing from his mother. I don't know if you've been in a place where you were so discontented and so fixated and so coveting something uh, that it just began to own you, and, and, and you, just, you just let that desire lead you down the road until you finally did something to get that thing that you knew was wrong, that was very sinful, and yet you did it anyway because what mattered to you more than anything else was having that thing that you did not have. That's a lustful thing. That's, that's a lust giving into a lust uh, rather than yielding to the Lord and, and just saying, Lord, help me to be content with such things as, as you have given me. Uh, I think we could say tonight that if a man steals this much from his mother, at very least, there's an evidence here of discontentment. He's not satisfied with what God has given him, and so he begins to covet, and his covetousness takes him to a place where he should not be. Uh, write down a cross-reference, please. Colossians 3 and verse 5. Colossians 3 and verse 5 uh, of course, as Paul writing to the church at Colossae, he says, mortify, therefore, your members, uh, with, uh, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. And I think you might remember the next phrase. He says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul taught the Colossian church, of course, it's the Lord teaching the Colossian church and us through Paul's epistle to the Colossians that uh, in God's eyes, covetousness is idolatry. You stop and think about that. You probably have thought about that. We've talked about it in the past uh, here in our church, but stop and think for a moment. Why is it, uh, Brother Garcia, that covetousness is idolatry? If I am allowing my focus to remain on something that I do not yet have or, or perhaps desiring more of something than God has given me, uh, why is that idolatry? Why, why, does the, why does the Lord call that idolatry? Well, I think it's because we're making an idol of that thing, desiring it more than desiring obedience to the Lord, or perhaps even making an idol of ourselves deciding that it's more important that my lustful desire be satisfied than my Lord's desires be satisfied. Uh, at, at best, you're making an idol of the thing that you do not have. At worst, you're making an idol of yourself, making your own desires more important than yielding to God and his desires. Uh, let's be honest, that's making an idol of ourselves, and that's not a good thing. Amen? That's, that's not a good thing. So I, this, is, this is the underlying spiritual dynamic uh, that, that we see here. Uh, Paul told the Ephesian church in Ephesians 5 and verse 3, he said, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as becometh saints. Don't let that be named. Don't, don't let me see covetousness among you. It was a serious thing. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a serious sin. He says that's, that's not becoming of saints, of, of people who have been uh, given a position of holiness in the Lord's eyes. 
thanks to the blood of Christ being applied to our sins, it's, it's not fitting uh, for a, a believer who has received eternal salvation to now be coveting anything that God hasn't given us. He's already given us the most important thing, so it makes no sense whatsoever to covet. But Gary, sometimes we allow ourselves to be given over to our lusts more than to our Lord, and we begin to get spiritually confused about what really matters. Listen, I think tonight we see exactly that in this chapter. This man, Micah, uh, seems to be caught up in a spiritual confusion because he has allowed himself to be given over to discontentment uh, and, and just lusting for that which he does not have. And uh, he's lost sight of his Lord and what God desires and what God has revealed in his word. And so he's, he's sort of come untethered or unanchored from the word of God uh, and from the direction of God. And so he spins off sort of out of control uh, doing his own thing. It's not that he won't be religious. <laughs> it's not that he won't be spiritual. But his religion or his spirituality becomes very confused and much more about himself than about his God. He concocts his own God, his own way of worship, his own place of worship, and his own uh, priest, uh, his own spiritual leader. So let's see that here. Let's just see how uh, untethered he becomes. This is the spiritual consequence of allowing himself to be given over to discontentment. It's not just covetous, covetousness, which is the consequence, uh, it's not just that he stole from his mother that's the consequence, although, Gary, that's a horrible thing to allow covetousness to take you to that place. Uh, it'll take you as far down the wrong road as you will allow it to. Here, this man becomes untethered from God's word regarding how God is to be worshipped, where he's to be worshipped, who's to lead that worship. Everything starts to get really messed up. Look at verse 4. The Bible says this, he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver, uh, 200 shekels of silver. Did I skip over verse 3? I did. Zach, you let me skip over verse 3. How is that? A page is flipped upside down. That's how. Here we go, verse 3. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. Now, you hear that? She said, I had wholly dedicated that money to the Lord. You know, I had it. I was, I was dedicating it to the Lord. Then it was stolen. Uh, but hear what she says. From my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Did you get did those things fit together? When you think graven image and molten image, what do you normally think of in the Bible? Do you think of worshiping the Lord or do you think of some other kind of worship? What do you think? <laughs> Andrew, graven image and molten image, that would be associated with what typically? A false god or some, some kind of idols. Uh, a graven image is literally uh, something that would be carved and, and then perhaps covered with, with silver or gold, whereas a, a molten image would be melted down and poured as into a mold. That, those words have the, that, that literal idea. So uh, two different types of false gods uh, in terms of their, the way that they're manufactured. But nonetheless, these, the, this is language 
that is typically um, associated with false worship. Now, in, in this case, it's, it's going to be false worship of the Lord as opposed to false worship that involves um, false gods. Eventually, we're going to see both. But initially, what we see is false worship of, of the Lord. Um, she says, I had set this money aside uh, to be used, uh, to be dedicated to the Lord, to make a graven image and a molten image. Well, what's wrong with this? It's, it sounds like she's thinking, I'm going to make an image of the Lord that will be used to worship him. Now, Brother Art, it, it seems to me that God has specifically prohibited that in Scripture, has he not? He specifically prohibited the making of images of the Lord for the purpose of worshiping them. Uh, we, we know that from uh, Exodus 20. You can, you can make a note, Exodus 20, uh, verse 4, uh, the Lord said, Thou shalt not make any unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. Uh, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. And, and the Lord says, I'm a jealous God. Well, the Lord anticipated, I think, that that would be the case more about making false gods, but he also was taking into account the possibility of someone would make an image of him uh, and, and worship, worship him. Now, uh, I've said already that um, Micah seems to be a man who's been caught up in discontentment, which led him to steal. Uh, Seems like Micah's mom is caught up in some kind of discontentment here also. Uh, why is it that she would want to make an image of the Lord? Why would she want to do that? Uh, guys, any thought? Why would she want to do that? Gary, do you have any thoughts on that? Why, why would she want to make an image of the Lord that she could worship? What, what would be the reason for that? Um, I didn't hear you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, normally this is something that would be associated with idolatry, right? But she's associating this with worship of the Lord. I wonder, Brother Ray, if, if she's discontented with um, God's call to worship a God whom she has not seen. I wonder if that's the idea. She surely, I mean, she, evidently she's a, a woman of Israel. Surely she knows Hey, there's the Lord. He's the one true God. Um, she, she evidently has not seen him, right? We understand that. She would not have seen him. Uh, I think she's discontented with the idea that she's been called to worship a God who she cannot see. I understand that it can be discomforting uh, to be asked to place your faith in someone or something that you cannot see, right? That, that could be discomforting. Um, and so there is comfort in... Um, making an image of something that you cannot see. Uh, let me illustrate this for, for a moment. Was there ever a time that you were separated from a loved one for an extended period of time? Zach was off at college at different times. My wife will say, oh, you used to travel a lot. I just missed you so much. Um, she's, not, she's not going like this. <laughs> she's not shaking her head yes. Um, so what, do you, what, what would be comforting when you were separated from someone for a long period of time? It would be a picture of them, right? That, that, would, be, that would be comforting uh, in, in their absence, assuming it's someone that you miss. Amen? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so I think that, that idea illustrates our, our natural tendency to be comforted by an image of someone who is not physically with us in a way where we can, we can see them in person. Uh, remember, Thomas had trouble believing that the Lord had risen again. And Jesus said, what did, what did the Lord say? He said, blessed. Do you remember? Yeah. He, he said, listen, um, blessed art thou who believes, but who has not seen. That's not, I can't seem to quote it literally for some reason, but that's, that's the idea. That's the idea. Um, the Lord knows we have a natural tendency to struggle placing our faith in someone who we or someone or something that we have not seen. Anyone here seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Anyone here see the cross? Did anyone here see him after he was risen? No. The Lord has given us faith that he is the Son of God and that he came and that he died and he was buried and he rose again and, and then he ascended bodily to heaven where he's interceding for us today. We, the Lord has just given us faith that that is the case. And, of course, that, that's the answer to the problem that Micah's mom is having, just calling out to the Lord for faith to believe in a God that she has not literally seen physically. Uh, that would be a much better um, answer to her problem than um, simply continuing to be discontented or discomforted and, and going her own way to find a solution. God's way, for sure, would be to say, hey, just pray. You're having, you're in trouble exercising faith in a God that you have. Say, pray. I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll convince you in your heart that I am. God will do that. Amen? Uh, she has chosen another way to uh, find a resolution to her dissatisfaction or discontentment. Uh, and again, it's disobeying the Lord. It's, it's doing it her own way. Um, the Lord has specifically prohibited this, making images of him, um, probably Gary, because he understands that the minute you make an image of him, you, you tend to be more about worshiping or adoring or venerating the image, the statue, than the Lord himself. And for sure, the Lord understands that the minute we start down that road, uh, there, there's a natural tendency just to continue down that road saying, hey, well, if we have the, an image of this God, why not have more gods? One is good, two, two is better, three is even better. Uh, it, once you start down that road, it, it takes you further and further away from a singular focus on the one true God. Um, we are concerned, of course, that the Roman Catholic Church venerates images, um, statues of Mary. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, it distracts from the Lord himself, and uh, this is not a spiritually healthy thing, of course. So God understood that. He, he, knew, he knew that there would be a large church that would go down that road, and so he began to prohibit. He knew that the Israelites would, would make false images. Um, he knew that there would be churches that would be tempted to do the same, and so he's expressly forbidden this 
for those reasons. It's for our protection spiritually, of course. Look at verse 4. He restored the money unto his mother, and his mother uh, took the 200 shekels of silver, not the 1,200, but only 200, gave them to the founder, the man who would, uh, at the foundry, who would make the images, uh, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. So she's paid uh, some of what she had dedicated to the Lord for, for this purpose. Uh, these, these sinful, unbiblical, unscriptural images have been manufactured uh, and taken back to Micah's house. Verse 5 says this, the man Micah had an house of gods. He had a house of gods. Does it say God or gods? Church, what does it say? It says gods. So we, we know that not only were they dissatisfied with not being able to see the Lord, but they were apparently dissatisfied with even the idea of just having one God. Uh, and so it, it's not just a dissatisfaction with being called to worship a God who you can't see, but uh, it's, they've apparently been dissatisfied with just having one God who they can't see. So verse 5 says, the man Micah had a house of gods. Apparently he had filled his house with these images uh, uh, and idols. Uh, he made an ephod. This would be uh, part of the priestly apparel uh, of the Old Testament that was associated with service at the tabernacle and then the temple. Uh, and a teraphim. Make a note in your margin. Uh, teraphim is a transliteration of the Hebrew word that's more commonly translated idol or idols. Uh, it literally means idol. Um, he says he, he, he made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons uh, who became his priest. Now, Brother Art, there's obviously problems here. This, this man has made images of the Lord. In addition to that, he has false gods in his home. Um, he has made his home the primary place of worship for him, and he has called his son, who evidently uh, is, is not biblically qualified to be uh, a priest, uh, his priest. Uh, we know that um, he's, the son is, is evidently not a Levite. Uh, we know that the teraphim is, is a false idol, and, and we know this place that he has made as a place of worship is not the place that God had ordained. Um, at this time, the tabernacle would have been at Shiloh, which, by the way, was in Ephraim. It was in the territory that was given to that tribe. So here you have a man who has the benefit of being relatively closer to the true place of worship, uh, the tabernacle, um, and yet he is so dissatisfied with the Lord that uh, he and mom have concocted false images of the Lord together with teraphim, uh, false idols, and set up their own place of worship with their own biblically unqualified priests. This is a mess. This is a mess. No doubt it stems from dissatisfaction. It's just another example of their dissatisfaction. Uh, Micah's dissatisfied with God's provision. He begins to covet and steal. He's dissatisfied with the Lord, it would seem. And so he begins to invent or concoct his own God in his own place of worship, in his own way of worship, uh, in his own, his own spiritual leader, his son. Look at verse 6, please. Verse 6 seems to point to um, maybe, maybe the underlying spiritual problem. Bible says in verse 6, in those days there was no what? What does it say? 
Can't hear you. Zach, help me out. What's it say? Verse 6, there was no what? There's no king in Israel. Uh, but every man did that which was right in his own what? His own eyes. We've seen this before in the book of Judges. The Lord shows that at this time in history, in the land, there was more of an interest in doing whatever seemed right to the individual, Brother Ray, rather than what seemed right according to God in his words. I don't know how to say this. I don't think I need to say it, but it seems like the way the world is today, right? Everybody's kind of just doing their own thing, not choosing to recognize the authority of the Lord and the authority of his words and choosing to subject ourselves to the Lord uh, and to his words and, and obeying him. Uh, just like in Micah's day, uh, people, a large portion of people at least, are doing their own thing, doing whatever seems right to them. Well, Micah's one of them. He surely knows who the Lord is, and he surely knows uh, how God desires to be worshipped, and he surely knows where God desires to be worshipped, and he surely knows who is qualified to lead that worship, and yet he's disregarding and disobeying, discontented with all of that, and therefore disregarding and disobeying and doing his own thing. Along comes a, a man in verse 7 who's called a Levite. There was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, uh, not a Levite. Uh, there was a young man of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. Okay, that's confusing. Uh, and sojourned there. How could a Levite be of the family of Judah? We don't know for sure. Uh, probably the case here that maybe his dad was a Levite and mom was of Judah. And so that might explain the, the situation here. That's probably the case. Uh, it's also interesting that this man comes out of Bethlehem, Judah. This was not one of the cities that was given to the Levites. So this particular Levite was not living where a Levite uh, in, in a city where the Levites should have been living, uh, why is he coming out of Bethlehem, Judah, to uh, the, the place of Micah? I, I don't know. Uh, honestly, uh, we can only guess. Different men have, have theorized, why is this man coming from a place that he shouldn't be uh, to another place that he shouldn't be? Uh, Zach, maybe he's discontented also. Maybe, maybe he's discontented with the role that God gave him as a Levite uh, where he should have been, whether it was Shiloh or somewhere else. Maybe he was dissatisfied with his, his compensation and what God had provided for him. Uh, there's some evidence uh, to follow that shows he's kind of an ambitious guy who's caught up in ambition. He, he desires a higher place and greater compensation rather than being contented with the position uh, and the provision that, that God has made for him. That, as we get further into this story, would seem to be the case. And, and Gary, I think that's why God brings this young, man, this young Levite into the equation here. He's another example of a man who is discontented 
and therefore walked out of God's will. He's discontented with God and God's place for him, and so he's literally walked out of that. Another man, very quickly, I won't say much about this, another man theorizes that this Levite may, may have moved on from the place of service because people stopped supporting the Levites wherever he was. And so, you know, he, he just began to wander looking for uh, a way to eat and a way to stay alive, a place to sleep. And uh, he made the observation that if, if that's the case, boy, what a great reminder of the importance of tithing to your church, uh, pastors and churches and ministries. Uh, have a hard time when people aren't supporting uh, the work of God. I don't know if that's the case or not, but what I do know is this young man, a Levite, is not where he should be. And in the context of everything else that we've seen, if, if the same thing is happening in his heart, uh, he's a man who's discontented and therefore looking for something better, uh, in his eyes at least. Verse 8 says this, The man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah. Here's our Micah as he journeyed. Micah said unto him, verse 9, Whence comest thou? Where are you coming from, man? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah. That might have been confusing. And I go to sojourn where I may find a place. I'm just looking, uh, looking for a place to live, man. That's, that's all I'm doing. Uh, Micah sees an opportunity here. He says, you know, I've got my son here as my priest, but boy, it wouldn't it be great to have a Levite as a priest? I'll, I'll bet I could really, you know, curry some favor with the Lord if I had a Levite as my priest. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but Micah is a man who's, who's spiritually confused because He's just allowed himself to become unmoored from the word of God. Verse 10, Micah said unto him, dwell with me and be unto me a father and a priest. And I will give thee 10 shekels of silver by the year and a suit of apparel and thy victuals. Hey, come and be my priest here in my house. Be our family priest. I'll pay you. I'll clothe you. I'll feed you. Uh, so the Levite went in. He said, yep, sure enough. This is what I'm looking for. Verse 11, the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. Verse 12 says this, and Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest uh, and was in the house of Micah. Um, stop there for a minute and consider this. Is it okay for this wandering Levite to be serving as a sort of house priest at this man's house uh, in Mount Ephraim? Is that okay? Is that okay? What do you think? It's not really okay biblically. <laughs> so I'm going to say it's not okay. Marlene, if the Lord says something's not okay, I say, what did I always used to say, Marilyn? No K. <laughs> it's no K. It's not okay. If God says, this is my way and, and you're doing something else, it's not okay in God's eyes. And so I'm going to say it's not okay. Uh, make a note, Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy 12, verses 10 through 14 specifically prohibit uh, priestly worship outside the place that God prescribed. I do not think this man should be a priest anywhere, <laughs> but uh, there was a specific prohibition against a priest functioning as a priest outside of the place of worship that God had ordained. I've already mentioned tonight that the tabernacle was set up at Shiloh 
in Eph, the territory of Ephraim. Uh, it was there uh, throughout the time of the judges, recall, all the way up to the time that the Philistines uh, seized the ark. Okay, you remember that. So uh, that was God's place at this time. And um, it, it's surely not God's plan for this Levite to be serving as a priest, um, and certainly not in this place. Um, Deuteronomy 12, 10 through 14 makes, makes that very clear. I'm not going to read that for, for time's sake tonight, but do, do have that in your notes. Um, Micah's all messed up. His discontentment, his dissatisfaction is just got him all unmoored and, and, and messed up. His spiritual confusion spirals upward, and we, and we see this in the final verse of the chapter. See verse 13. Then said Micah, now I know that the Lord will do me good. Does that make sense to you? Now I know that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Based on what you know or have been reminded of tonight, does, that, does, that, does what he said there make any sense to you at all? He says, hey, now that I got this Levite to be our house priest, uh, the Lord will bless. The Lord, the Lord surely uh, will do us good. Never mind that uh, his house is filled up with images of the Lord that are biblically prohibited in Exodus. Never mind that you've got a, a wrong place of worship and a wrong way of worship and a wrong worship leader. Everything about this is unbiblical and therefore wrong. Um, and yet he says, well, I, you know, I think that now I've got a Levite to help me worship the Lord. Everything will be great here. No, he's confused. His discontentment with the Lord has him unmoored from the word of God and God's way. And it's just brought him to a worse and worse and more and more confused place. I thought a lot about this verse this afternoon, Art. And I thought, you know what? I think that there's, there's people who have taken up this same mindset today in all kinds of churches. There's, there's people in the world today that say, you know what? I'm worshiping the Lord. And, and as long as I'm worshiping the Lord, no matter how I do it, that's going to be just fine. Do you see that in the world today? Uh, you know, I don't want to pick on different specific churches, and, and so I won't. Certainly we could, but I don't want to be unloving. But you could probably think of a, a number of churches where, yep, they're worshiping the Lord. They're, they're Christians who have put their faith in Christ. They're repentant of sin. They place their faith in Christ, and they're worshiping the one true God. But are they doing it in a biblical way? Is there a humble worship of the Lord, or has it become more about me than about my God? Has it become more about entertainment than, than about worshiping the God of the, all things of all time who, who, who comes together and meets with his people as they assemble? You see an awful lot of worship today that really honestly just feels False. It's not Christ-centered. It's man-centered. Uh, it's not focused on the Word of God. It's focusing on entertaining people. 
man, I don't say that to be unloving, but that is a, that is a concern, and it breaks my heart when I think about that. Um, you know the difference between a, a church that desires to worship God humbly according to his word and, and one that's simply trying to entertain people. Amen? Beware. Beware. Um, Mike is pretty messed up. He thinks just because he's worshiping the Lord and, and he's got this Levite, Levite shouldn't be there, but he's, he's so messed up because he's so unconnected from the Lord and his words that he thinks this must be a good thing. Gary, his discontentment, his mom's discontentment and the Levite's discontentment have led them all to a really bad place. It's, it's led them beyond just being discontent and coveting and... Uh, stealing, that'd be, all be bad enough, but it's, it's led them to a place of real, true, spiritual apostasy. And it's led them to a place where they don't even ha- seem to possess the discernment to recognize how far from God their discontentment has carried them. There's just, in, in verse 13, there is an absolute, absolute total lack of discernment in that verse. That's a frightening thing, and it's a warning for us. We need to learn to be contented with our God and with his provision, because the minute you, you are not, you, you, you come off a good path and you set yourself on a road that leads to discontentment with God, his provision, and, and as you travel down that road, uh, every step brings you Uh, more and more toward the kind of apostasy that we see here. Someone will say, well, this couldn't happen to me. Uh, Just a little bit of discontentment that I don't deal with and get right with God. This kind of thing could never happen to me. I don't know. It happened to Micah, and God saw fit to put it in the Bible. So it must be we are at risk of this kind of thing if we don't get serious about the discontentment in our own hearts and, and, and nip that off at the bud before it blossoms into the kind of discontentment uh, that we see here. Is discontentment a problem, church? Yeah, uh-huh, yes, it, it is. Well, what can we do about it? Let's just take, let's just take several minutes. Why don't you get a few things down here, okay? Number one, and please get these down if you can. Number one, understand that discontentment is dangerous. Discontentment is dangerous. It's a spiritually dangerous thing. If you find discontentment and dissatisfaction in your heart, that's the warning light going off on the dashboard of your car. Danger, danger, danger. You are, you are you're heading to a bad place and you're going there fast. Danger. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we wrought nothing into this world. It's certain we carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, having food and clothing, let us be therewith content. But they which will be rich, those that desire riches over spiritual riches, fall into temptation and a snare, a trap, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted, coveted, coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This is a New Testament verse. It's a warning to New Testament churches uh, and to the members of churches. 
To allow yourself to continue in discontentment uh, is a very dangerous thing, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, Gary, it must be it's possible then to be contented. It must be possible uh, to be contented. Listen, if you're suffering discontentment tonight about any, anything, I don't care what it is, your church, your pastor, your car, your house, whatever it is, your bank account, uh, what, some, whatever, part, your health, what, your health, <laughs> whatever it is, um, you have a choice tonight. You can choose to remain discontented uh, and stay on the road to the place where Micah ended, or you can choose to repent of the discontentment and say, okay, God, I'm going to need your help now to be content. Uh, God, you show me your way from your word, and you give me grace to take up your way to be content. God, I choose that. Uh, and by the way, to not make a choice is to choose to stay discontented. Amen? If you're in a bad place and you don't choose to get up and leave that bad place, you've chosen to stay there whether you feel like you've made a choice or not. Agreed? I'm going to say something. You've got to determine to be content. Number two, choose to be content. Philippians 4 and verse 11, Paul says to the Philippians, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever I... Let me try again. He says that I have learned in whatever state I am, not like Connecticut or New York, but whether I'm rich or poor or somewhere in the middle... Wherever I am, I've learned therewith to be content. Paul said he had learned to be content. He says that to the church at Philippi. Why is he saying that? Well, I think there's a few reasons, but one reason is that he wants them to know that they too can learn to be content. It's not, he's not just writing it because. I think there's a few reasons, but one reason surely is that he wants them to know that they can learn to be content. So discontentment is a dangerous thing. You've got to choose to be content and, and understand in making that choice. It's not just that you're, you're going to hope, oh, maybe I can be content. No, you can learn to be content in the Lord. Um, in the Lord. Number three, we have to choose to be content with the Lord. Number three, we have to choose to be content with the Lord. Hebrews 13 and verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, let your conversation, your behavior, your manner of living, right, be without covetousness. If you're content, you will not covet. Let your conversation, your manner of living be without covetousness. So God is commanding that, must be it's possible. He says, okay, how? Lord, how? He says, be content with such things as you have, as you have. Be content with whatever God has given you. For he hath said, remember the Lord hath said, I will never leave thee, nor, what? Forsake thee. Be content with what you have, recognizing that if you're saved, if you repent of sin and place your faith in Christ for salvation, if you are saved, you can be content with what you have, 
when you recognize that what you have includes the Lord Jesus Christ indwelling you, the God the Son, uh, the Word, the Creator of all things. You have him in your life. And, and what, did, what did the Lord say to Paul when, when Paul was praying three times about his affliction? You know, he was discontented with his affliction, I believe. He, he, he prayed, Lord, heal me, Lord, heal me, Lord, heal me. That wasn't wrong. I don't mean to imply that. Jesus said, no, <laughs> we're, we're going to let that go on. But my grace is sufficient. Amen? My grace is sufficient. The Lord's grace is sufficient. If you're saved, you have God the Son, God the Father, and, and God the Holy Spirit, and, and grace available from the Lord to endure anything. What an amazing privilege, Brother Art. We can endure anything because the grace we have from God is sufficient. It's at least enough to get us through whatever we're facing. Whether we have a big bank account or we're not sure where the next bag of groceries is coming from. Whether we have an awesome, great new car or one that we're not sure will get us to the food store. Uh, whether we have the best, nicest things to wear or not so not. Whatever it is. Whether we're in great health or not so great health. You have the Lord and his grace that is sufficient. And all the hope that comes with that. More do you need? Lord, help us to be content with that. Some, you know, the, the, there then comes along the sin nature saying, yeah, but I want this and I want that and I want this. No, Lord, help me to be content with you and whatever you provide. A couple of times tonight, men have said we need to pray when this discontentment comes in and, and it, then it kind of builds to covetousness and greed and sinful things to feed our lustful desires. Better than going down that road is to pray, God, help me to be content with you and your provision. Whatever you provide, help me to know that you've promised to meet my needs as a believer and you are meeting my needs. You're at least meeting my needs and your grace is sufficient to endure whatever trial comes along. Lord, help me to be content with that. That's quite a bit, Gary, isn't it? We've mentioned already tonight, get this down, please. Number four, understand, remember that covetousness is idolatry. The minute you begin to covet, you're making an idol of something or yourself that's distracting your attention from God, who is your God and whose grace is sufficient. Don't forget that. You find yourself coveting, you got to say, the Lord says this is idolatry. And it's no better than the people worshiping the golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain. That's what, isn't that what the Bible says? The golden calf was what, Zach? What I word was that? It was an idol. And it was sinful to worship that thing. Lord says, if, if you are coveting, you'll only covet because you're discontented. That's idolatry. And it's no different than, you know, dancing around the golden calf. It's the same thing in God's eyes. Don't fool yourself into thinking that it's not. It's the same thing. You've got to take it seriously. Lord, I confess my discontentment. I confess my 
uh, covetousness. Lord, I understand tonight it's idolatry. Bible commands us to separate ourselves from covetous people. You know, if you're having a problem in some area of your life, someone who was having a, an alcoholic uh, has a problem with alcohol, not going to be helpful to them to hang around people who are alcoholics. There's going to be constant temptation to drink. Hanging around covetous people, discontented covetous people, is going to be a constant temptation to be discontented and covetous and idolatrous. Uh, get down this verse reference, please. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. Paul says, but now I've written unto you not to keep company. Don't hang out with any man that is called a brother. If he be a fornicator or covetous or covetous or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Don't hang out with people who are caught up in these things. Yeah, but pastor, that'll be unloving. No, it'll be obedient to God. They'll think bad of me. Pray for them. <laughs> Lastly, is it number six, Zach? Put off coveting and put on a desire for God's words. You know, you, you've got to put, whenever you put something off, remember, you've got to put something on in its place. I take off my shirt, Gary. I better put on a new shirt before I come back to church. Amen? You put off sin, you've got to put on something in its place. Um, Psalm 119 and verse 36 says, it's a prayer. Lord, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Psalmist prays, Lord, incline my heart to thy testimonies, to your words, and not to covetousness. Rather than coveting what I don't have, I should redirect my desire to God and to his words and just feed upon God's words. Let them be the prescription that keeps you focused on God and contented with God so that your eyes do not fall upon things that only tend to covetousness, dissatisfaction, covetousness, greed, and so forth. Uh, next Wednesday night, Lord willing, we're going to look at the discontented Danites. Their discontentment carries them to a terrible place see it. Read ahead, please, this week. Read Judges 18 this week. Uh, let's take a moment as we stop and pray and ask God if we have been discontented, perhaps covetous, as a result of that. Lord, show us that. Give us a heart to confess that tonight and to take up your answers to this problem. Let's pray. Lord, thank you tonight for your words. I thank you, Father, that you don't just show us problems, you show us solutions to spiritual problems in your word. Lord, you've not just recorded this account tonight for no reason at all. You've recorded it to show us the danger of not dealing with discontentment.
Father, I pray tonight that if we are giving in to the temptation to be discontented tonight with you or your provision or our church or whatever it is, Father, Lord, help us to confess that tonight. Lord, to simply say, Father, I agree tonight. I've allowed myself to be discontented. I've allowed myself to covet something that I don't have as a result of that. Lord, I agree. encourage you tonight, if that's where you are, to say, Lord, help me to turn my attention back to you and to your words and to take up the solution that you have given. Lord, help me to be content with you. Help me to be content with Christ, my Savior, and your grace and your promises. Lord, help me to be focused on you. Lord, help us, please, me included, to be satisfied with you and with all that you have provided for us. Lord, we all, each of us tonight, has so much more physically than most people in the world. Father, every one of us tonight who has come to Christ in faith as a Savior, and eternal life, and grace that is sufficient, and all of the promises that apply to believers. Lord, please help us to be content. Father, please help us to stand guard against discontentment and the things that flow out of it. Lord, help us to store up the things that we've heard and learned tonight in our hearts for that next temptation to be dissatisfied, the next temptation to covet the next temptation to prideful greediness. Father, help us to humble ourselves before you and to be contented with you and your provision. Lord, I love you tonight. Thank you for the time we've had in your word and pray that you help us to walk in these thy words. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.